So in today's session, let us look at Surah Al-Duha, Wal-Duha. This chapter is very beautiful as well, one of the earliest surahs, of course. Um, some scholars say uh, this was the very uh, next surah that was revealed after the opening three surahs Allah sent, or parts of the opening three surahs, and then there was like a pause in divine revelations, some moment, the scholars disagree on the actual time and how many days it happened, but it does seem that it, it was like several days for sure, but it could have been a few weeks as well that the angel Jibreel didn't come back to the Prophet after visiting him initially from Laylatul Qadr, we believe it was the opening revelations of Surah Al-Alaq and then Surah Al-Muzammil and Surah Al-Mudassir, there was no cease. the revelations like uh, there was a pause stopped in, in, in a moment so the people who didn't understand the message and the Prophet والسلام, now telling them that he's been sent by God to warn them and also to bring them glad tidings uh, they waited for an opportunity to mock him to make fun of him like okay if he's inconsistent in his message we'll pounce on him if he becomes lazy, complacent, we'll also pounce on him. We'll like take every opportunity we can to question him and to give him hard time. So when Angel Jibreel didn't come to the Prophet with new revelations for quite some time, like I said, let's say a, let's say a few weeks, okay, a few weeks, uh, it was very... Uh, it was very difficult for the Prophet ﷺ because uh, Allah doesn't ask the Prophet for permission when he will send an angel to him to send him with some revelations. Allah decides. And even Sayyidina Jibreel ﷺ cannot come to bring any new revelations unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed so. So this is very clear in the Quran. So no messenger can come with any sultan evidence or ayah. The Quran mentions this so many times. Allah mentions it. So this surah was revealed in the early days, very early days of the Prophet's mission. During a period when he, I don't want to say was over-worried, because the Prophet ﷺ was never over-worried, um, and the angel didn't come with any new revelations for some time. So the non-believers in Mecca started to tease the Prophet ﷺ, saying that, Oh, whatever angel you are talking about that came to you to reveal to you has now abandoned you. So this surah at the very beginning uh, basically first and foremost reassures the Prophet ﷺ that everything would turn out well in the end for, for someone like a messenger of God. So Allah knows exactly what, what he does and when and how and why. We don't understand that fully. So there was a reassurance to the Prophet ﷺ, don't worry. Everything will turn out to be absolutely fine. And they will even understand this pose in Revelations, why that actually happened. So now, talking about the Prophet ﷺ expressing his own concerns or worries, uh, or showing some signs that he is like anxious, so to speak, because... He wants an angel to come because these people are now chasing him. They're mocking him. They are pouncing on him. So he wants the angel to come and give an answer. 
so that he can turn to them, the angel came to me last night, or whatever, uh, or a moment ago, and this is the new revelations, in reply or in response to what you have done to me in the last few weeks. He wanted that, but it wasn't up to him. So there was a huge lesson from God Almighty to the Prophet, our Prophet himself, from Allah there. Allah is almighty, all-powerful, and his will is absolute. He decides what to do and when and how. Even when it comes to the actual uh, revelations, how much of them will be sent and what, at what time and how and in what manner, Allah decides. So now here, the Prophet's worry was not like you and I worry. Listen to this very carefully. You and I worry that we're going to lose our job. Or we lost our job and now we worry how we're going to pay the bills. Or we're going to lose the house because we cannot no longer afford to pay the mortgage installments. Or I got a new phone, I can't pay the monthly small thing. <laughs> or a car, okay, let's say a car. And it's not yours, so it's on loan in a way, like installments, you can't pay it. Now the car will be repossessed from you. I don't know what deals you signed, but you might benefit from whatever you paid so far and some percentage of ownership you might sell that you have. I don't know. But if it's a deal where you don't own anything, and if you haven't paid until the last installment, which is not fair, un-Islamic in a way, uh, you might lose everything. Okay. So then you become not only worried, even anxious and stressed out, okay, and angry, like you start feeling. The reason why we humans, normal human beings, feel like that, unlike the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't do that. Even though we said a few times, uh, may Allah forgive me if I'm totally wrong here, but my humble understanding is that as the Qur'an was being revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, he too was giving different lessons at different times of the revelations in the entire period of the Qur'an as it was sent down to the Prophet ﷺ perfecting his own traits and states. So some scholars, like I told you a few weeks ago in Friday sermon, one of the reasons why the Prophet constantly made istighfar is because he also was on a spiritual upliftment like but it was ascending all the time he was all the time going up taraqi spiritual upliftment which was constantly going up so from one state let's say he was always grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was a very upright person even before Allah chose him to be a prophet which is true he never worshipped idols but he saw social ills evils around him he 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 condemned that, he showed his displeasure with it, disapproval, but he, he was not properly guided. So this is what this surah tells us in a way. So even he had things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him work on, build on, improve. And since he became the prophet of Allah, of course, his guidance was never any question, and nor was his iman and tawakkul etc. Therefore his worry here was not a worry like you and I worry about dunyavi things or even you and I might worry about something mental or spiritual because we haven't worked hard enough on our own egos. So it's our ego which is telling us you need to become the most famous in your community. It is your ego which tells you that you need to own certain amount of properties and this and that. Or 
the expectation, the social expectations or your peers, the peers' pressure, which is a huge reason and cause of many you know, uh, mental uh, illnesses in today's teenagers, just because of the social media and the, the pressure, which is the artificial intelligence and everything that is out there, some of our boys and girls feel inadequate and therefore they start developing some disorders, mental uh, issues, which is not fair really. Whereas a person who works on themselves from within, they know their entire job in this life is not really to earn so much money there's nothing wrong in becoming the richest man in the world. It is fine and it is good to work hard and never to be lazy. The Prophet made dua against laziness and other things. But the main job we have is basically to perfect our character. Basically to instill within our bodies, ourselves, as many praiseworthy qualities as we can and solidify them and get rid of the blameworthy traits. That's what it is. And that's exactly what the Quran does. And that's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ did as the Quran was being revealed to him. Every new lesson, every new thing, he absorbed it. He took it in. And Allah transferred from his perfect qualities and attributes to him until he perfected whatever human traits can be perfected. But he never claimed any divinity, nor did any of Allah's prophets and messengers, nor can they. Only Allah is divine. They can't share in divine qualities, but they can perfect themselves as human beings. But like I said to you a couple of days ago, there's always some room for improvement. So it does seem that the Prophet ﷺ, until the last moment, that's why sometimes I find them the most touching and emotionally and deepest, his statements that he used to say just before he passed away, in the last week or few days of his life. Be, you know what he said to Fatima, his daughter, the only child that outlived him, subhanAllah. Look how much the Prophet was trialed. Every single child of his died before him. He buried his children. That's difficult, very hard. It's a, the biggest of calamities. Or even your spouse uh, or parents, his, he was an orphan, case like the Surah says. So loads of things. Yet he perfected his reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he perfected his iman and he even prayed in his prayers I ask you imanan kamilan or ahsan al-iman he says or we say ahsan taqwim the best of manners as well so he had all those things basically perfected uh, so his worry was not like ours really I have to say that his worry always is, and I told you this a few times already in this series of talks, his worry was that the mankind, will lose, they will lose the track. They will get lost in the darknesses of misguidance. That was his anxious, his worry. That was his worry. Like, if he expressed any worries, like, he wants Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send more and more of revelations so that the solutions are found for the community. Yeah? So that answers are given. So more and more people can see the light of guidance and be guided and live a happier and better life. That's how he used to worry. On the Battle of Badr, I unfortunately didn't mention it until now, 
17th of Ramadan, just a few days ago, yeah, it was the anniversary. He was not worried that, oh, he was not a good of a prophet, and there's only like a few hundreds of his followers, keen followers, who came out with him. Some others have left, okay, because they, their iman was not good, or they were hypocritical in their belief, and they're heavily outnumbered now by an army which is three times bigger than them. Therefore, he locks himself up in a tent or asks for a tent to be pitched and he stays there and prays, but he's actually worried and crying out that a failure of message, a failure of mission, a failure of this. No, he wasn't worried like that. He wasn't worried that he'll be injured. Somebody's going to break his teeth or tooth like happened at the Battle of Uhud or some, somebody might insult him. Not for himself like that, but he was worried that there'll be no one, if they were defeated on the Battle of Badr, yeah, on that great day, there'll be no one after they have all been martyred, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the face of this earth, until Allah wants to keep this earth and, and human beings on it running, living, occupying it. That's the kind of worry he had. Or his worry for his companions, for them not to be trialed and tested to a degree that he thinks they may not bear. Whereas with him, he could and he did. So no other human beings that we know or I know of in history of mankind had harsher tribulations or trials than the Prophet ﷺ. More severe and more constant, all the time something than him, but yet he showed us as humanely as possible how to show your contentment with Allah's divine decree and his gifts, whatever he gave you your way. So this surah in that sense is amazing, like huge reassurance to the Prophet So I'll read for you the translation so that in case you're wondering. Allah says, by the bright morning light. So this is why the surah has been entitled Ad-Duha. Okay, what duha? He says, so there's an oath in this surah again. It means the morning light. Ad-duha. Wal-layli idha saja. So we have the night three times in a row now in Quran. And by the night, when all is still. A very nice uh, figure of speech. Ma wadda'aka rabbuka wa ma qala. Your Lord has not forgotten you. He's not displeased with you. Oh, and this is the most important thing. This is the only thing the Prophet ﷺ had somewhere in his back conscious. That's why we don't call this worry, real worry like we have. The only thing he would say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even when people stoned him, hurt him, and he was bleeding, all I care about, he will say to Allah, Oh God, all I care about is that, that you are not displeased with me, with my uh, manner of worshipping you with my manner of praying to you, with my servitude to you. As long as you are pleased with me, there is nothing else I should care about, really. Because if you are pleased with me and happy, and even if you decide to take my life now, or my life is to be ended by someone else who is not in sync with your divine command, but disobeying you and therefore hurting me, even though I'm not telling them anything wrong or trying to steal their wealth or take their reputation from them or cause them any harm or, or disres 
cause ruin to their reputation or, 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 or integrity, I will accept that. I'll accept that. But I want you to be pleased with me when I meet you, on the day I meet you. So Allah reassured the Prophet ﷺ in this surah is that he hasn't forgotten you. And he's not displeased with you. In fact, Allah is pleased. And you will see, this is according to some the sahabas, the most promising ayah and the most delightful verse of the entire Quran is in this surah for the Prophet. In reply to his so-called unbelievable kind of anxious and worry that Allah might become displeased with, with his efforts. Well, subhanAllah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon you. It's just unbelievable. So look what Allah says. Soon your Lord will give to you, and the time yet to come will be better than the past. So Allah is reassuring the Prophet, as I'm saying to him, yeah, now they're ridiculing you and difficult, but future is better for you. And scholars obviously offer two interpretations here. One is that, Soon, maybe a few years later, your mission will be established and you will do better. Like more and more people will follow you, understand your message. Or much later, like hundreds of years later, people will follow this message like us, 1400 years on. And there is arguing every fourth person on the earth is a believer, a Muslim. And maybe in 100 years time, every second person, every other person basically will be a Muslim, inshallah. Why not? And every non-Muslim is potentially a Muslim. Okay? So Allah knows best. Or the other interpretation which is always valid is what waits for you in the hereafter, after you leave this worldly life, okay, and the social injustices that we see nowadays or people who are rebelling and choosing not to believe and do righteous deeds but instead uh, commit atrocities and disbelief, the hereafter is free of those things for the believers, for you, and is better and everlasting for you. This is another way to understand that. So, the time to come will be better than the past. That's for sure. <laughs> At least in the hereafter. But even in, in this worldly life. And it happened. So, we know from now, like obviously it's been 1400 years since this surah was revealed. Uh, they, some commentators say, the only prophet of Allah... Uh, that saw complete success in his mission during his lifetime before he passed away was the Prophet so he preached in Mecca for some time as we know and it was very difficult Okay, the 12-13 years in Mecca but before the 10 years of Medinan period expired the Prophet returned to his hometown triumphantly victorious so the Mecca was conquered and all those people that this surah is talking about who ridiculed him and made fun of him being an orphan and not having much money and this and that, uh, they all embraced Islam by the eighth year of Hijrah, after Hijrah. So another two years the Prophet lived. And by that time, hundreds of thousands of people from the Arabian Peninsula, the Al Jazeera Al Arabiya, came to testify that there is no God but Allah and that he, Muhammad, was Allah's final prophet and messenger. So uh, our commentators say that there is no other prophet who saw something like that in their lifetime. 
because Allah wanted to reassure him and gave him these reassurances in the Quran itself, textually, but then in practical life he also saw success. And that's why on his farewell pilgrimage, yeah, uh, just like a few months before he would die, a couple of months before he would die, he asked the huge gathering, okay, we don't know exact number, but it's like 100,000 probably people plus, he asked them to bear witness that he has delivered the message. Have I delivered? And they said, yes. And then he turned to heavens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he said, I call upon you, Allah, to bear witness that I have and my ummah, my people, those people that I was sent to, you sent me to, have confirmed that I have fulfilled my mission. It's unbelievable, really unbelievable. So Allah tells him here in ayah number five, Because of this sawfa, not most scholars wanted to say that it is the actual gifts that the Prophet will receive and his ummah, his followers, in Jannah, in the hereafter, in the next life, is meant here that will give the Prophet the, 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 the pleasure that he wants, that he is only content with. And what is that? I'll tell you in a moment. Soon your Lord will give to you, O Muhammad, and you will be satisfied. What is that? Subhanallah. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more merciful than the Prophet Muhammad. Only Allah is more caring, okay, and willing good to the creation than the Prophet Muhammad, our Prophet. He's next in this. Why? Because Allah transferred those qualities from him to him, to the Prophet Muhammad, in highest degree. So Allah confirms here. Our Prophet Muhammad was never content, like I told you, when he saw people not understanding his message and not following him, refusing to follow him, because he knew that's so bad for them. It's a pity for them. What, what, what a you know, foolish thing to do, miserable thing to do. So he saw them as, he pitied all those people who didn't accept Islam in his time. And he really willed and wanted everyone to accept Islam and follow the message. Not because he was their messenger, because he knew that was the truth that they had to follow. That's the only light, that's the only reality. So, on Judgment Day, he will plead to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will fall in sujood for a long time, let's say in our understanding thousands of years. And all he will do is he will intercede for each and every one of us. For everyone, actually. And he will intercede and keep himself on the sujood, the prostration, yeah, down all the way on the floor, his face on the floor, praying to Allah, crying, weeping for his ummah to be given what? Forgiveness, salvation, and being placed in the beautiful gardens of paradise that the believers are promised. So he will not be content until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes out every single person who testified that there is no God but Allah and that he, Muhammad, was Allah's final prophet and messenger out of the hellfire and put them in the Jannah. The prophet will stay in sujood interceding. And when the last person who said at least once, can you believe that? Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. 
وأشهد أن محمدا رسول الله ومحمد عبده ورسول أني فور مفشهادة The Prophet will not give up until that happens and that is the pleasure that Allah mentions here He will be pleased But then the Prophet will still stay in sujood and will intercede to Allah to take even more people not his ummah because people who followed him who testified that he is Allah's final Prophet they belong to his nation his ummah yeah? he will want more of previous people's nations to be taken out of the hellfire and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send an angel to him and say to him that was your limit you can rise and your intercession will not be accepted anymore but then Allah will all the angels to go and snatch everyone from the hellfire who testified that there is no God but one out of Allah's mercy and forgiveness. And that is to God to decide, okay, from the previous nations. And only the people who never testified that there is God or died on, they believed, but then disbelieved and died on disbelief, only they will stay in the hellfire And the reason is because of their intention. If they only could live forever in this worldly life, they would disbelieve in God forever. They will keep projecting Him for eternity. And Allah knows that. Allah knows our innermost thoughts. Okay? He knows, you know, everything. The whispers of our soul. Everything. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will deal with that situation like that. So this is what this surah actually is talking about. It's talking about our Prophet wasallam, how Allah kept reassuring him with different parts of divine revelations as they were coming down and giving him practical answers to the situations that arose, that came up, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told his messenger, better days are to come in this worldly life during your mission, but certainly what's to come in the next life, in the hereafter, is far better and everlasting than whatever you can imagine in this worldly life. And you, I'll give you until you are content. So Sahaba once sat down, I just wanted to narrate this story for you and we'll finish. They sat down and they were after the Prophet passed away. They contemplated over the entire Quran, the revelations of this holy book, Allah's majestic book, sacred, noble, uh, beautiful, holy book. What is the most promising ayah, hopeful ayah in the entire book? So some of them said the most promising ayah and reassuring ayah to us all is the verse which Allah revealed twice in Surah An-Nisa uh, and then again in Surah An-Nisa I think twice. Twice Allah said Inna Allah the only thing Allah will not forgive is to associate partners in worship alongside him, like idol worshipping or dualism, believing in two gods, polytheism. So worshipping other than God, whether it's on the same footing or less, even like any prophet, we can't really acclaim any divinity to any prophet, Jesus included, Muhammad included. We can't worship them, only God. So shirk means to associate partners with Allah or alongside Allah or besides Allah in worship, in prayer. That kind of act is the, the most cardinal of sins that us humans can commit, knowing that we are so intelligent and smart and we can learn about God 
through these divine revelations and the prophet, why then should we insist to praying to idols alongside God or to more than one God when there is only one true God, we are told. So they say that is so reassuring because as long as we do not commit shirk, which means associating partners with Allah in worship, Allah will forgive us the rest of our sins and crimes that we committed. That's what Allah said twice, okay, in the Quran. And it is really very hopeful ayat. Others, they said, there is another verse from Surah Az-Zumar, which is even more hopeful, incites more hope. Allah says, O my servants, do not fall in despair, and those of you who transgressed against yourselves, like exceeded the limits, you were excessive in transgression, means in sin, in bad habits, doing something wrong. Don't fall in despair because Allah forgives sins, all of them, in their entirety. <laughs> so some commentators said that includes the shirk as well, because Allah says, all of them, absolutely all of them. But there are others who analyze the theologians, okay? Not commentators, just exegists. But the theologians, they studied it in a more careful way, and they said the chronology of these verses as they were revealed is important. So they realized that Surah Zumar was revealed before Surah An-Nisa. So therefore, the verses from Surah An-Nisa is that shirk will not be forgiven, is the valid principle yeah, of our creed notion. Okay, so we should never risk committing shirk, basically, because Allah will not forgive that, I'm telling you. But here Allah says he forgives all the sins, and then he explained later, basically, accept shirk. But there are some commentators and Muslim theologians who say everything is up to Allah. And if he chooses to forgive some people who still worshipped him and maybe worshipped idols because they were ignorant or inherited that from their forefathers, Allah can forgive them if he wants to. It's up to Allah. Just like he can keep the gardens of paradise for as long as he wants and the hellfire for as long as he wants. Nobody can tell him what to do. His will is, you know, his, his will and the decree is absolute. So they said this is more hopeful because inshallah all of our sins will be forgiven. And then Imam Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said there's another ayah in the Quran which is even more hopeful than that. And then he cited this verse number five from this chapter. Soon your Lord will give to you a Muhammad and you will be satisfied. And he knew that the Prophet Muhammad will not be satisfied until the very last person from his ummah followers is taken out from the hellfire and put in Jannah. And this promise was made by who? By Allah. To who? To whom? His final prophet and messenger. And Allah never fails in his promise. And we know from the Quran and the seerah, the life of our Prophet that he will not be pleased, content, until the last of his followers is actually placed in Jannah. Has been given the salvation, the ultimate salvation, and is placed in the beautiful gardens of Jannah. So indeed, it turns out to be that this ayah that we are covering today in this session is the most optimistic ayah of them all, the most reassuring and, and, and uh, uh, instilling hope in us uh, than any others. But it has its attachment with it, isn't it? What it is? If we hear these types of stories and know these types of explanations, isn't it the time that we love the Prophet, just like we love Allah, Allah first and then his messenger? 
and that we revere him and respect him and honor him and follow his footsteps and learn more and more about him as well and then to show to ourselves that we actually have honest, earnest love towards him and respect and reverence mention him send peace and salutations upon him just like Allah did and his noble angels and Allah ordered you to do so do that and of course you will have every chance of getting his greatest uh, shafa yeah, intercession from the Prophet because with all honesty we understand our Prophet taught us if he wasn't him we wouldn't know any of this really know Allah you wouldn't know Allah if there wasn't Muhammad and this Quran so he really told us none of us really deserve to go to Jannah or deserve forgiveness or the ultimate salvation just solely based on our own efforts and deeds or including our sincerity and intention purity of intention it's not enough we all depend on Allah's divine mercy and grace and by and large that is symbolized through the Prophet so that divine mercy which is the outstanding quality of Allah is embodied in the messenger of Allah Muhammad therefore we need to increase our love towards him our respect and honor and reverence towards him and frequently send peace and salutations upon him and his pure family and noble companions so I'll just read the translation for you because this is the main lesson of the surah um, so look how Allah reassured the Prophet and told him soon your Lord will give to you and you will be satisfied did he not find you as an orphan and gave you shelter did he not find you lost and showed you the way did he not find you in need and enriched you? So as for the orphan, do not be harsh with the orphan. And the beggar, don't send him away empty-handed. And as for your Lord's beautiful gifts, speak of them to others. So whatever gifts we have, we graduated from Cambridge University. Tell people, so you may encourage other people to go and enroll and study there and graduate as well. You memorize the Quran, so tell people, Allah blessed you with the memorization so that others will be encouraged and go on to do the same. You got a good job and a good wage, tell people what it is, what is the company, maybe they have another vacancy so they can go on as well and, and earn as well. So any bounty and gift, good things, Allah says here, speak of them, proclaim, pronounce, there's no harm in that. This doesn't mean showing off or self-appraisal. Uh, which could be problematic if your intention is wrong. But to encourage others in charity and good and, 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 and seeking knowledge, acquiring knowledge, it's all good. One more thing, orphan, of course. He said, him and orphan is like this on Judgment Day, this close. The Prophet pointed with these two fingers. So uh, looking after an orphan is a huge thing, and he himself was an orphan, as this surah confirms. And one more thing, the beggar, the needy, the destitute, the person... The, the less fortunate members of our uh, society, uh, you know, the, the, the destitute, the beggar, the, the, uh, the needy people, what do we do with that? Well, this surah in a way really is saying to us, uh, we are obviously not allowed to ignore those people or basically disrespect, show disrespect to them because everything we have is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And anything can happen to any one of us at any given time. And it really symbolizes 
the honesty in your own iman uh, if you look after someone else who doesn't have much. Because you totally acknowledge that whatever you have, it's a gift from God to you and it's been entrusted to you. And you now have certain you know, uh, duties in your wealth, in your health, in your free time towards others, especially the orphan child and the destitute, the needy, the beggar, especially when they knock on your door or come and ask you for something because nobody really will raise their hand unless they have to. They have no other source of income, whatever it is. So when that comes to you, refusing those people, uh, insulting them, being harsh on them, is very problematic because the one pound that you could have given them, uh, are you the owner of that or has, it, has that one pound just like the other thousands of pounds that you have, have been entrusted to you by God? And he wants to see it. He's testing you through your wealth. Will you look after the needy and the poor just as he looked after you? So everything that happens in our life and whatever happens in whatever way, Allah has a, a divine wisdom behind that. You and I can't always understand. So this is the final point I'll mention. The Prophet ﷺ was so renowned for this particular quality of generosity and kindness, especially in Ramadan. And what else? Of never re returning someone empty-handed. I'm telling you. So the Hadith says, uh, the Prophet ﷺ never ever returned anyone empty-handed when they came to ask him for something. Whether it's a material good or piece of knowledge they want him to read Surah Fatiha to them or Durood Ibrahimiyya, whatever it is that he taught them or did, he never returned anyone empty-handed. If he had something, if they came for money or food, he gave from his own possession. If he didn't have anything, he will ask his family members, household members, to, to give some of their, like he will ask Aisha or Hafsa, do you have something? Fatima, his daughter give and he will then take it from them and give it to them. If he didn't have anything like that in his entire household, all of the rooms that, that him and his wives had, uh, he will then send some of his servants or children or uh, wives to ask in the neighborhood of the Sahaba that he thought might have something to give that person. And if they can't give anything because they didn't have then he will ask for somebody to go to the market and borrow something and say, the messenger sent me, he needs a shirt or a bit of a few dates or some water, whatever it is, or a bit of bread, and he will pay you back. It's a loan. <laughs> so he takes a loan and then he gives the beggar, right? And if nothing was there, like nobody was even available or had nothing even to loan to the Prophet that he will return later on, he will then raise his blessed hands and make a, a prayer for that person that Allah finds ease for that person and, and, and blesses them and solves all of their problems and issues. And then most of them actually always came and knocked on his door because they wanted his prayer, not the days that he gave or a, you know, a shoulder of a goat or anything else that they got a bit of food or something or a parchment or some leather or a prayer mat. It was the prayer that they wanted from the Prophet ﷺ. So in all reality, he never returned anyone empty-handed because even those that he prayed for, they returned with so much of blessings and they would report later on after they went from the Prophet ﷺ, after they left him, their lives in a way transformed and changed and they saw more and more of blessings of Allah uh, 
descending upon them. So we also pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that uh, he helps us to accompany this book, make this Holy Quran our best friend, so to speak, uh, most beloved uh, book, Holy Scripture, to read and to learn, to benefit from. But we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to deepen our understanding of this uh, sacred scripture. And we also pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he deepens uh, our love and yearning towards Allah and his messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Love and yearning and respect and reverence. And we, of course, pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the ability to fulfill all of our religious duties and obligations. And we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make everything easy for us, pleasant for us. And if he's testing us, so for us to see the test so that we can pass it. And if he's trialing us, that he takes us out of that tribulation and trial uh, before we give in before we uh, uh, defeat our own selves by ourselves or before the ego takes in kicks in and we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us our mistakes and shortcomings and we uh, pray to him to grant us the highest levels in Jannah inshallah ta'ala in the company of Allah's chosen ones his prophets and messengers righteous uh, servants and, and, and martyrs آمين 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 يا رب العالمين أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو غفور رحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وزدنا من فضلك وجودك وكرمك علما وتعليما اللهم أغننا بالعلم وزينا بالحلم وأكرمنا بالتقوى وجملنا بالعافية أرحم الراحمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكره الذاكرون وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد كلما غفل عن ذكره الغافلون اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد دائما أبدا يا رب العالمين في كل لمحة وفي كل حين وفي كل نفس يا رب العالمين اللهم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار ودخلنا الجنة مع الأبرار يا عزيز يا غفار برحمتك ربنا نستغيث أصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين يا رحيم يا رحمن اللهم ربنا أطف بنا فيما جرت به المقادير اللهم ربنا لا نسألك رد القضاء لكن نسألك اللطف فيه يا لطيف يا لطيف يا لطيف اللهم ربنا وقنا واصرف عنا شر ما قضيت إنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليه إنه لا يعز من عاديت ولا يذل من واليت اللهم انقلنا من ذل المعصية إلى عز الطاع يا رحيم يا رحمن وجعلنا من المخلصين اللهم ارزقنا صفاء المعرفة اللهم ارزقنا الإخلاص في القوي والعمل يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم ربنا برحمتك نستغيث يا رب العالمين أنت ربنا الأكرم ذو الجلال والإكرام يا أرحم الراحمين يا الله يا الله يا ذا الجلال والإكرام سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتحة